Thank you. Welcome to Grace Fellowship. Uh, my name is Jonathan Coburn. I'm the Missions Committee Chairman. And um, on behalf of our great people in our Missions Committee, we'd like to present to you our theme for the 54th, that's 5-4, 54th Missions Conference here at Grace Fellowship. And the theme for this year is the harvest begins on our knees. And we've taken that from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So if you could turn in your Bibles there. It's Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." And when going over that, I noticed that the, I made three observations. Number one, the vision of Jesus. He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them. The second observation was the need. They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers were few. And then the third was a call to action. Jesus said, therefore, pray earnestly. So our text begins with Jesus going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. My question is, was, who was teaching in the synagogues before Jesus started his ministry? Well, they had rabbis, Pharisees, scribes, elders, other religious leaders that were put in a position to teach the people to bring them closer to God. They were well-educated in the law and the prophets. But one thing that we read throughout the Gospels is that most of these religious leaders opposed Jesus. Yet Jesus had the floor in these synagogues, and he was doing the teaching. And it says in Mark that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So we see in here where Jesus had a twofold ministry. And we see that again in Mark 4, 23 through 25, a little bit early. I mean, in Matthew 4, sorry. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And he went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. The twofold ministry with teaching and with healing. The healing accompanied his teaching. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those opposed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him, 
from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So let's go back to our three observations. First, the vision of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. It's kind of interesting as you read this that it looks like Matthew is making this observation that Jesus had compassion for these people. It doesn't really say that Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, hey, see those people over there? I got compassion for them. Look at it again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples. There's several times throughout the Gospels where Jesus had compassion for someone or a group of someone's wonder if it was an expression on his face, a look in his eye, something that Matthew, being an eyewitness here as one of Jesus' disciples, he saw. But in any case, he was moved with compassion, as the King James Version says. And that word for compassion in the Greek, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, even though I took a little bit of Greek in high school, this one was tough. But the meaning behind this Greek word is it, it, it's to be moved as to one's bowels. The bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity, and it is the strongest word for compassion in the Greek language. It's so strong, as a matter of fact, that except for a few parables, this word is only used in reference to Jesus. One of those parables that Jesus taught is found in Luke 15, 20, this, this story about the prodigal son, where the prodigal son ran away, spent his inheritance, and then this came, to, came to his senses and decided to come back to his father's house. And he says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father in this parable is God. And there's probably a few of us in here today that have some experience being a prodigal and feeling that, that warm embrace, that mercy and compassion from the father. I get these devotional emails from Pastor Rick Warren, and I like some of his stuff. It, he tends to be very practical. And in one of the emails recently, he says, sympathy says, I'm sorry you hurt. Empathy says, I hurt with you. But compassion says, I will do anything it takes to stop your hurt. So why is Jesus moved with such strong compassion? Well, it brings us to our second observation, the need, because they were harassed and helpless like the ESV says. The King James uses fainted and were scattered. The New Living Translation says confused and helpless. Amplified and NASB says dispirited and distressed. And I lost a page. So Hold on. 
don't know how my pages get messed up. And the picture here, to help us understand what this looks like, is like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know how many shepherds we have here, but I think it's pretty well known that sheep are not exactly the brightest of animals. They need a shepherd for survival. This picture is used on several occasions throughout the Bible. Matthew's gospel was written for mostly a Jewish audience, and he includes many Old Testament references that the Jews would be familiar with. And your homework assignment for this week is to read Jeremiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel chapter 34. And that paints a pretty good picture of what Matthew might be talking about with sheep without a shepherd. Again, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. One thing I noticed, like I could have gone in many different areas with this like sheep without a shepherd, but one thing I thought of was these crowds were quite the opposite of what David wrote in Psalm 23. Like these crowds were like sheep without a shepherd when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, not lacking anything, not helpless like these crowds. He wrote, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Talks of rest. These crowds were weary and they were faint. He wrote, he leads me beside still waters. Refreshment. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Not scattered or confused. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that life is not always green pastures and still waters. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, not distressed or dispirited. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Now the shepherds in those days, they would take oil and mix it with some herbs and spices and pour it over the sheep's head to keep the insects and the flies away. David knew a little bit about that. David used to be a shepherd before he was king of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 and 35, just before David went to go fight Goliath with a shepherd's slingshot and five smooth stones, David was talking to Saul. And he said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That's a pretty darn good shepherd. Just imagine Jesus, our good shepherd, and how much greater he is. So the Bible also compares us to sheep quite often. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
They have turned everyone to their own way. You know, a lot of people have their own opinion of God and who he's like, and, you know, I think God is this, or if, you know, if I'm good enough, I'll be able to get to heaven. And, but the, the Bible explains, the Bible is very clear on who God is and how to get eternal life. But it's so sad how many would rather choose their own way or follow somebody else that is misleading them. And if your religion is leading you away from Jesus by telling you that you can be good enough to get into heaven, then you're being misled. Because if we could get into heaven on our own, why did the Christ have to suffer and die? Why did, he have, why did the Lord have to lay on him the iniquity of us all? Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a man, but it, its end is the way of death. Jesus is very clear. Throughout the book of John, we have these I am statements that Jesus said. And I'll give you three of them right here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He also said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I thought, what, isn't it ironic here that we have a, crowds of people that are without a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd, yet the good shepherd is right there. He's physically right there. He's observing them, looking at them, looking straight into their innermost beings like only he can. He sees their confusion. He sees their distress, harassment. And these crowds apparently have no idea what's going on. They see his miracles. They hear his teachings. And yet, they're still lost. John 1.11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. These crowds probably had no idea about their spiritual condition or how scattered they actually were. They're more than likely misled by their religious leaders. And sadly, this is so true for many today. Jesus gives us the picture of sheep without a shepherd, but he also gives us the picture of a plentiful harvest but only a few workers. These are the two pictures on our theme for the 54th Missions Conference, the wheat, the harvest, and the sheep. Romans 10, 12 through 15 says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful 
are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are they to preach unless they are sent? And that brings us to our third observation. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As you can probably imagine, the word pray is a pretty common word in the Bible. Um, in the New Testament, there's half a dozen words in the Greek that are all translated pray. The most popular one is prosukamai. It's only used as a prayer to God. There's other prayers where, you know, a king would say to another king, you know, I pray you give me 20 talents of silver. But this pray, prosukamai, is only directed to God. A few examples of that. When Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, prosukamai. When he was given the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he said, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And when Paul wrote, pray without ceasing, it's prosukamahi. But that's not the word that's used in our main text where the ESV translate it, translates it, pray earnestly. The word used here is de'amahi, and it means to beg as binding oneself, to beseech. And it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. One of them is in Luke 5.12, where there was a man with leprosy. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Another example is Luke 8, 27 through 28. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. De omahi. And also when Jesus was speaking of end time events, in Luke 21, 36, he wrote, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It's also used a couple times in Acts chapter 8 when Simon the sorcerer saw Peter and John laying hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. This guy Simon thought he could purchase that gift. And Peter had some very harsh words for him in Acts 8, 20 through 22, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray, de omahi, to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And then again it's used in Acts 8, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The, the eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he was reading the part where Isaiah prophesies he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. 
And Peter and Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. And Acts 8.34 says, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, de omahi, you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So Philip told that it was Jesus who was that sheep, and he explained the gospel. And the last one, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore de omahi, you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As you can see in these examples, you can read a definition and get something out of it, but when you see the word used elsewhere in Scripture, you get a better idea of what that word really means. And as you can see, there is an urgency, an earnestness, a desperation associated with this word. The definition of binding as oneself reminded me of the, the, the story of, of Jacob when he wrestled with God, wrestled with the pre-incarnate Jesus. And they wrestled all night. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So how can we get to that level of urgency that level of desperation in praying to the Lord of the harvest. If we can see the need with the vision of Jesus and have compassion like Jesus, then the praying earnestly part should come naturally. But we can't manufacture the compassion of Jesus on our own. It's not like we can wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be compassionate like Jesus today. Remember, this compassion is only used in reference to him. We can try and put ourselves in other people's shoes, and sometimes that helps. But the truest compassion is only found in the nature of God, because only, only God knows the full depth of an individual's pain, need, or suffering. Jesus said in John 14, John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It is his nature, his character, his compassion that flows through us, the branches. Paul wrote, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I've been in a manufacturing environment for like 25 years, and I've sat through a boatload of meetings. And one of the plant managers that I had worked for said that the, the key element to a successful meeting is everybody leaves the meeting with actions, action items, 
Everybody leaves with a tax, tax, uh, a task to do. So, I have three action items for all of us, very much including me. Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit, the Lord who is the Spirit, to transform us to open our eyes and see the lost how Christ sees them. Pray for the compassion of the true vine, Jesus, to flow through us, the branches. Number two, pray earnestly, de Almahi. Bind yourself to prayer and seeking God's face for more laborers like Jesus told us to do. Many of you saw at our 53rd missions conference in November the list that our guest speaker, Mr. Carmichael, had. He stood right here, and the list just kind of scrolled and cascaded to the floor. And that list was all the known people groups, people that we know about that have no church in their area and no Bible in their native tongue. The Bruces, who vi whose video you just saw, they're serving in, in one of those people groups. The statistics that Mr. Carmichael shared that only a small percentage of missionaries actually go to those people groups. It was pretty eye-opening. The laborers are certainly few. These people are truly sheep without a shepherd. Several of our missionaries are struggling to find support. Other churches that once supported them are closed or dropping their missions programs altogether. We're heading towards our 54th missions conference. This church, our new senior pastor, dedicated to worldwide missions. Missionaries have little choice but to leave their field and come back to the states or wherever to try to find more support from churches and from individuals. And every time they spend, every moment they spend out of their field hinders the advance of the gospel. So our missionaries need our support, not just financially, but in prayer also. And that's the focus of this year's missions conference, is the harvest begins on our knees. They face burnout, health-related issues, but we wouldn't be having our 54th missions conference if it wasn't for the support of this congregation. Your obedience to God for giving what he has laid on, our heart, on your hearts, it's, that's what's carried this. And we continue to move forward with our goal of worldwide missions. But the harvest begins on our knees. It doesn't end there. It's no coincidence that after Jesus told his disciples to pray earnestly in Math at the end of Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 10, he sends them out to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. We have our very own mission field. Our pastor's wife, Brittany, was telling me about a church that they visited. They had a sign entering the parking lot of the church that said, Welcome to such and such church. That same sign on the other side, as you were leaving the parking lot, said, Welcome to your mission field. 
You know, I usually tend to focus throughout my life. I've focused on what I can't do. You know, I don't have enough money for that. I don't have enough time. But I believe God has been telling me lately to focus on what can I do, even if it feels so small and insignificant. After all, God only used 300 men to defeat an entire army with Gideon. So I'm asking, can we set our alarm clocks 15 minutes earlier to get up and pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest? Can we give a little bit extra to missions? Can we grab a prayer card? In your bulletin, there's an insert for the Bruces with sorry, specific prayer requests on the back of the card. Can we beseech God on their behalf? Can we devote one hour more a week to dig into God's word, find his heart, understand his compassion? What can we do? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. You are returning. And someday, probably soon, the sheep and the goats will be separated. Your sheep know your voice. You call them by name, calling each one of us today to pray earnestly, to go out into our mission field. So Lord, we pray, pray for all our missionaries, and not just our missionaries, but missionaries everywhere that are facing financial setbacks, they're facing health-related issues. They're facing a whole plethora of things that we don't even know about, persecution. Lord, we pray for them, and we pray for more missionaries to be sent out because truly the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Lord, we thank you that this church you have carried us and given us the heart and the desire to be focused on worldwide missions. We thank you that we can stand here and be proud of the fact that we are going to have our 54th missions conference. And Lord, we pray for other churches for whatever reason that they're dropping their missions programs or closing Lord, our missionaries need support, not just financially, but in our prayers. We thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. If you will, please stand with us as we close by singing verses 5 and 6 of Amazing Grace. Oh
Stadler, if you will, close us in prayer this morning.